Christ is our peace. He came proclaiming peace to those who are far off and those who are near. Christ is our peace. In his flesh, through his blood, he has taken those divided by hostility and made them one. Christ is our peace. The coming of our Lord is near, and we wait in joyful expectation. Emmanuel, God with us. Shed your light on all that is filled with darkness. The coming of our Lord is near, and we wait with hope-filled hearts. The coming of our Lord is near, and we wait for God's redeeming presence. Draw close, Savior of all creation. The coming of our Lord is near, and we wait for the fulfillment of God's promises. Draw close. Renew our world, restore our, your peace, display your righteousness. The coming of our Lord is near, and we wait attentive to the signs of his coming. We pray, God, Emmanuel, be with us this Advent season. Amen. Again, good morning, everyone. Uh, we are in the midst of Advent season, and... Um, Anytime around the Christmas season, I think that people love to think about stories. Often stories are told around fires and people talk about holiday memories. And uh, stories, as we know, intrigue us as humans. We're drawn to them. We're captivated by plot lines. We're intrigued by characters. We consume novels. We love to go to the movies. We... Uh, are constantly um, checking out TV shows or Netflix binging or doing whatever it is to consume story because story moves us. Uh, we're captured by it. We're intrigued by it. It's why some of us sit around wondering if uh, Nancy's going to get back together with Steve. And, uh, and some of us are even like, if you don't know who Nancy and Steve are, I'm a little bit disappointed with you. And and so there's all these feelings about shows and stories and movies, and uh, probably no story has captured us more than the story of Christmas. It's uh, one that many of us could say verbatim, uh, that if we were put to uh, the test, we would probably start and just communicate the whole thing from beginning to end, that there was a census, and that there needed to be travel, and there was no room in the inn, and then there was labor, and then came along baby Jesus, and then there were swaddling clothes, and sheep, and shepherds, and then there was a star overhead, and there were gifts, and there were wise men, and uh, then there was probably joy to the world being sung in the background, and uh, everybody worshiping, and you, you have this story that we've told so many times that becomes so familiar, but often I think what happens is in the midst of stories that are so familiar, we forget that there are parts to the story that are still deeply intriguing. There's parts of the story that maybe go beyond what we imagined, and, uh, and even at times things that have kind of gone overlooked, and right in the midst of the story that's most familiar is this really beautiful song by Mary. And many of us uh, have traditionally known it as Mary's song, and it's one that uh, has not been 
uh, talked about in the church nearly as much as other parts of the Christmas story. And I want to read that text again to us. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along there or in your copy of the scriptures. And Mary said this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for all those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away or empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You have this beautiful song in the midst of a story that is very familiar to us. And this particular song, most of us know, has been around for, for since the beginning, really, of the church. It's been one of the earliest forms of liturgy. Uh, it was the first Christmas carol that was ever sung. It is also, I think many know, the longest set of words spoken by a woman in the entire New Testament. It is a passage that carries with it great wisdom. You have this young girl communicating profound truth and really in a quite a subversive, stick-it-to-the-man kind of way. Uh, In fact, it is a passage of Scripture that at one point, three governments over time declared it improper to ever communicate or to post this particular portion of Scripture because they considered it revolting and subversive to government. So you have this passage filled with so much depth and so much meaning that often gets overlooked. And in the midst of it, there's a little phrase I think that is often overlooked as well. And it's a phrase that I want us to consider this morning. The text says this, for he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For he has looked, speaking of God, on the humblest state of a servant, speaking of Mary. Other versions say that God has looked with favor on my humble estate, or God has been mindful of my humble estate. And normally when I hear people talk about this little section, if they do, they kind of just glance over it really quickly, or they focus primarily on the idea of Mary's humble estate, meaning that she was very mindful of the idea that she's to be humble, mindful of the idea that she's in great need, that all of us stand before God in need, longing to be filled, and that the only one that can adequately fill all of our needs and longings is Christ. But this morning, I don't want to focus on Mary as much. I would like to focus on God, because the other key part of that phrase is God's attention. God's recognition, right? The phrase again is, for he looked on Mary in her humble estate. The text says that he considered. Other versions say that he looked or he was mindful. Maybe another way of saying it is that God knew Mary's story. 
He was fully aware and attentive. That he looked down upon and cared about the very things that she was experiencing and going through. And I want us to just imagine for a moment Mary's story. Again, we're so familiar with it that we think about a young girl. We think about her being in a town different than the one she was in that she traveled to. She's not familiar with it. She's a first-time mom. She's experiencing all that goes along with travel and being tired and worn out. But I think what happens when we start to think about the story of Mary and really anyone in the Christmas story is we kind of compress the story and make it really flat. What I mean is we just think about the basic things we normally think about and we turn it into like a black and white picture. Uh, So there's just some definition to it, but not the kind of definition that would be true of like a high definition surround sound color flat screen TV kind of world that we live in that's got pop to it, right? We just kind of make it flat. So let me give you an example. Um, Besides the fact that she was a first-time mom and was traveling and was in a location that she wasn't really as familiar with, you have to imagine the birth scene for a moment. Mary would have been around a swarm of ladies being active. There would have been a midwife kind of coaching her. There would have been all of these moms kind of hovering around trying to meet her needs uh, while Joseph is off with the fellas, biting his nails, nervous, wondering when the announcement would come and anticipating that it would be soon because he knows she's in the midst of labor. You Imagine also the social baggage that's in the midst of the situation. That culturally speaking, uh, this was not a pregnancy that was wanted. Um, they, They would have known it would have been an out of wedlock pregnancy. There would have been a social stigma with that. Uh, The product of that pregnancy would have been known in the culture as a bastard and would have been called that, would have been treated that way. You have all this social stigma around this birth, but in addition to that, you have these divine elements. You have these moments where the angels come and declare that this birth will be unique and different than all others. You have this weird experience that after delivering, along comes a group of shepherds, people that were low in society, that were kind of outcasts. And they would have made their way to the home and they would have inspected the birth and been there and marveled at Jesus. They knew where to find him and they knew he'd be wrapped up and they knew he'd be with his mother and father. And so you have all these dynamics going on at the same time. And Mary has got this rich and deep story that is as rich as the song that we just read. But into that story, you also have Joseph's. And you have the shepherds. Like I described them, the riffraff of society. But maybe they were specifically chosen because they were migrants. They would move around. And maybe that meant that the gospel story would begin to move with them. Or maybe they were chosen because they were shepherds. And they actually watched over the very sheep that at some point would be chosen to be sacrificed at the temple. And so it was a foreshadowing that this moment that we just experienced, this moment that Christ 
became present with us. The incarnation was, in effect, a symbol of what would happen, which is that he would ultimately be that sacrifice for us. So you have all these dynamics happening all at the same time, but again, what we tend to do with the Christmas story is we smush it all together into one little compact story that we read right before we open the presents. And then we set the story aside and the story doesn't impact the greater good in our lives. It's like watching a movie where we don't really care about the character development and we have no consideration with how one person in the story impacts everyone else's story. There's a tendency for us to do that, but I wonder if we also do that in our own story. I wonder if what happens is we live our own story and we try to live it to all of its fullness, and in the midst of it, we overlook everyone else's story around us. And Advent is probably the time that that happens the most. If you think about it, in the hustle and bustle of getting presents ready, making sure we have all our decorations in place, And just the busyness of the season, going to Christmas parties and office parties and small group parties and friend parties and parties for the parties that people couldn't get to parties, right? And it's like layer after layer after layer of stuff to do that in the midst of it, I think we miss out on the stories all around us. That we live our story and fail To notice, and what the Advent season is really about is the fact that God considered, the text said, that God looked upon, that God was aware of Mary's story, that He took notice. And I think the Christmas invitation is for us to take notice too, to take notice of the stories all around us, to take notice of the people who are close by. You see, God modeled it with Mary, but then Jesus also modeled it with this particular woman in the scriptures. It'll be on the screen, but the story goes that Jesus was walking and he's going toward a particular um, centurion's house to perform a miracle and to bring healing. And as he's going, he's in the midst of this crowd of people that are swarming him. And the story goes that a lady came up from behind and touched his garments, touched his clothes. And instantly he noticed that someone touched him and he said, somebody touched me and I I knew that power went out from me. And uh, all the disciples being classic disciples were like, Jesus, I mean, everybody's touching you. Come on. I mean, like we're in this crowd of people that everyone's bumping into you. And he's like, no, there's something different going on, and this woman steps forward and says, it was me. You have this really cool, powerful line that says that she kneeled down in front of Jesus and told him the truth about herself. And another version says this, that he told him her whole story. That she unpacked the whole story. This is my life. This is how long I've been bleeding, which means... I have no opportunity to go to the temple, no chance to worship. I hear you're the one that makes a difference, and now my life has changed. And she tells him her whole story, and he listens to the whole story. 
And I wonder how many times people are wanting to tell their whole story and we fail to notice that anyone even touched us, that anyone was close by. Recently, Kevin reminded me of a story I read a long time ago. There was a uh, man who was riding a train. He was uh, on his way back from work, but he was still trying to get stuff done. And as he sat kind of across the, there's a section where people would pass in front. There was another set of chairs on the other side of the train, and he's beginning to work. And there's a, a man right there with two young kids. And the two young kids are just going nuts. I mean, they're bouncing kind of off the walls. They're running into him and the work that he's doing. They're, they're bumping into other uh, passengers on the train. And inside, he is growing with agitation, frustration, like, can you just get a handle on your kids? Can you tell them to sit down? Can you tell them to stop annoying everyone on the train? And all of this is kind of welling up inside of him. And he is about to say something to the father and then just kind of gets this feeling that maybe, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should just ignore it or maybe I should engage with the man for a moment before I tell him to get a handle on his kids. And so he just kind of introduces himself and says something to the man. And the man is kind of looks completely out of it looks like he's just not doing very well. And he begins to share with this individual that, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. We just came from my wife's funeral and the kids just don't know how to handle it and I don't know what to tell them. Well, that changes everything, right? Suddenly he went from being annoyed to considering what would that be like? And what can I do in this moment to care, to love, to support? Suddenly another layer of the story was unpacked and it changed his entire perspective. Everyone has a story that's so many layers deep. There are people right now we know in California whose stories are being radically changed by fire. You know, people's stories right now that are radically changed by the prognosis they just got, either positively or negatively. There are people in your world that their stories are constantly churning just as your story is as well. The other day I was behind the building, kind of going in and out, dropping stuff off as I interacted with three men who are helping each other shoot up. They have stories. But do we take enough time to hear them? Do we take enough time to consider them? The other day, I went to Walmart with this kind of in the back of my mind, thinking about people's stories. And I'm with Shannon and we're going through the line and uh, we had like three or four items and I was kind of like, I don't know if you ever get to this place where you're like on a mission, you're just kind of like, just check these things out for me and then I'm going to leave, right? That's all I'm here for. In fact, I should have just gone to the self-checkout line, then I wouldn't have to, you know, wait on this process. 
And so I, I step forward, we're starting to scan stuff, and the guy behind the counter, his name is Morgan, and I say, hi, Morgan, it's nice to meet you. And then he just starts chatting about life. And Morgan is a sweet guy, and he's got this um, Christmas hat on with some, like, horns on it. And, um, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, making conversation, I comment about his hat and how cool it is. And, man, where do you get one like that? And even though I had no intention of buying said hat, I still commented and was interacting with him. And again, initially was annoyed that the process was taking longer than it should. And then Morgan starts to kind of unpack his story a little bit. And then he tells me that earlier in the day, there was this girl that came by and she had several times made her way through his particular checkout line. And every time he tried to greet her and She didn't seem to have any interest in him, but he was still intrigued. And so he kept like trying to get to know her name and a little bit more. And then he told me that she came right before his break today. And so he ran her through the checkout line and then he took his break and she happened to go to Subway. And he walked over to Subway and she was just ordering her sandwich. You can see this story keeps going, right? And... And then he bought her sandwich for her, and she looked at him and was like, wow, that was so kind. And then she said, would, would you want to go to coffee with me? And, and then he told me, standing there telling me this, and he goes, and outside, I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. But inside, he said, I was a five-year-old little boy jumping up. <laughs> Go, like, and he starts waving his hands like that at, in the middle of Walmart. And I'm like, dude, Morgan, <laughs> that is awesome. It had to be the hat, right? That, that had to be the thing that put it over the edge. But the point is this. In the midst of whatever we're in, there are people who have stories that are so many layers deep. And if we are willing with the Christmas story to kind of cram it all down and to treat it as just the story we've heard a hundred times, we'll have the tendency to do the same with everyone around us. Because the center of our story is us. And too often we forget there's multiple other people in it. And each of those people in the story matters. And that what God is communicating to us in many ways is... He's inviting us to know their story. He's inviting us to consider. Just as he considered Mary's story and looked on it, he's asking us to consider theirs. In the words of a great theologian by the name of Fred McFeely Rogers, he says this, never underestimate the impact that your mere existence can have on another human being. There is something of yourself that you leave at every meeting with another person. That's Mr. Rogers, by the way. And the God, the God who noticed us is the God who came and inserted his story into our story. And he invites us to notice the stories around us. And I would venture to say that's our way of participating in the incarnation. I want to read Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 as we close. 
says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. That adoption is the adoption that means our stories matter. My encouragement to you is to live into the incarnation by noticing the stories of people around you. Let's pray. God, may we not uh, easily overlook the Christmas story because we've heard it so many times. And may we not just as easily overlook the stories of people around us that we've seen hundreds of times. Just a quick invitation to a question might reveal all kinds of layers to someone's story. And God, in the midst of all of that, I think you're asking us to invite them into this same good news that we've experienced in your coming. So give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us questions to ask, and and give us a, a nudging of your spirit to know who it is that we're supposed to learn their story this week. And maybe our invitation to share their story might prompt us to be able to communicate the good news of your story. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.